Hi, and welcome to Great Green Questions. My name's Juliet Davenport. Today, I'm sitting in my freezing cold attic in front of a bunch of screens looking at the outside world. Now, tech has infiltrated our lives like no other over the last 12 months. What does this mean for our planet? About six years ago, Kim Kardashian broke the internet with that infamous picture of her with a champagne bottle on her bottom. Did Kim break the internet? Or is the internet breaking us? Helping me get to the bottom of this week's issues are my wonderful panel. Mike Bernards-Lee is a climate and carbon researcher and author of How Bad Are Bananas? A great read. Definitely get it for everybody this Christmas. There is no planet B and the burning question. Mike is professor and fellow at the Institute of Social Futures at Lancaster University and a director and principal consultant to Small World Consulting. I love Mike. Every time I sit down and talk to Mike, I could talk to him for hours, finding out amazing facts about our planet and what the actual environmental impact of everything is. He thinks about carbon footprinting from one end of the world to the other, climate change, and his brother's pretty famous as well, Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web. So he's really appropriate to be talking about this question today. So my second guest is Ken Cheng. Ken is a British-born professional poker player and comedian noted for his YouTube comedy character, Mark Liu. Cheng studied mathematics at Sir John's College, Cambridge, but dropped out to become a professional poker player. And apparently he describes his profession as a combination of extreme punishment and reward. And we shall get into that a little bit later. We discussed everything from Bitcoin to online poker and where the two should meet. The carbon cost of sending your emails... Sadly, this is fairly low. I thought this could be a great excuse to stop emails altogether. And for those Netflix lovers amongst you, the news is good, but not such a sunny fate for the Bitcoin enthusiast. We chatted about greenwashing of tech companies, what exactly is Amazon up to, and we got a little bit into quantum computing. And for those of you who are not quite sure what it is, that's the next stage on computing, the next supercomputers of the next generation. Mike talked to us about the surprising impact of increased efficiency of our tech and thinking about how we can use the internet as a force for good. I love this episode. I found out lots of things that I didn't know already. But at the risk of giving too much away now, let's hand over to Ken and Mike. We'll just wait for her to come back. Good old tag. I'm back. I can hear you. Oh, please don't do this to me again. This uh, pandemic has really shown up how how people's Wi-Fi are like really becoming an issue in these Zoom calls. <laughs> She knows she's gone. She might have just gone on for like two minutes and <laughs> ended the show. Sorry, it hates coming back on again. Apologies. Okay, excellent. Hi, I'm Juliet Davenport, and today we're going to be discussing the internet. So I'm an environmentalist, but at the end of a hard day in the job of fighting climate change or doing my best to, I, I do like to watch something maybe on Netflix, Amazon, or even iPlayer, depending on how I'm feeling. So with the world in lockdown, our reliance on the internet and tech that connects us has become even more prevalent. Meetings that were once held in person now begin with the inevitable, can you hear me? Is your microphone working as we've just tested today? Or are you on mute? But what does that mean for our planet? Is there a cost to what could now be called man's best friend? 
So this week's big question is, Kim didn't break the internet, but is the internet breaking the planet? Now, just so you know, when I first read this question, shows how naive I am in some in social media sets. I thought that was Kim Jong-un of North Korean fame, whether he'd actually banned everybody from using the internet. In fact, it's not. It's Kim Kardashian reference to whether you can balance a glass on your ass and put champagne into it. Although I'd quite like to mix the two together in a mental image. So on that point, I'm going to start with guest number one. Please introduce yourself, Mike. I'm Mike Berners-Lee. I'm the author of There's No Planet B and How Bad Are Bananas? And I'm a climate consultant and a professor at Lancaster University. So, so Mike, what is your environmental confession or do you have none? Well, if you ask my kids, they'd, they'd read out such a long list of stuff. But <laughs> I, So we've just moved to this house and it's got an arger and we haven't got rid of it yet. <gasps> Could you make it into electric arger or we can have that discussion later, maybe? We're having that discussion. We're exploring the options. And, and what apps do you have on your phone's homepage? Well, my phone is a jungle of apps all disorganized. But of course, there's high quality news. I try and only go for the truthful stuff, things like The Guardian, The Financial Times, New York Times, stuff like that. And a whole load of stuff about running, things like Strava, so I can find out how much faster my son is at running than I am. <laughs> and of course, for when I can use it, all the stuff about trains and you know, all forms of transport. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Mike, thank you so much. So our, our next guest, Ken, tell us about yourself, Ken. Hi, I'm Ken Cheng. I'm a stand-up comedian who's been on various TV and radio channels. I have my own radio show called Chinese Comedian on BBC Radio 4. I'm also a professional poker player. Now that's fascinating. I'm really interested in how you get comedy and poker together, but we'll get into that mm. a little bit later. Ken, what is your environmental confession? My confession is that I use food delivery apps, but I... I use them on places which I could probably go walk like 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes and just buy there. But I, I, I don't want to get dressed or it's too cold outside. So I just use the, the app. OK, so food delivery apps. Interesting. Maybe we could get a community one so it wouldn't just be you ordering, but the whole community. Yeah. And are those the apps that feature mainly on your homepage then or do you have any others? I've got a few others. I've got all the usual social media because I, I tweet a lot. And so I've got Twitter, Instagram and all those. LinkedIn, I'm active on LinkedIn, but I use that as a joke. I, I use, play a lot of chess on my phone. So I have the chess.com app. I use that a ah. lot in between stuff. Okay, brilliant. So guys, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. And we're going to be talking about the internet because in our vision, this new world where none of us get in a car anymore and few of us ever get on a plane and we have all these virtual meetings, we're actually doing good. But is that really the case? And that's what we want to get into. But first of all, Mike, before we start, you have a familial kind of connection to the internet, do you not? Do you, do you explain a little bit, please, on that one? Well, just really quickly. So my brother invented the web. What does that mean? Because I've heard that a few times. I don't actually understand. Did he sit there and kind of construct the whole thing? Or did he, did he just come up with the concept? He wrote a program. He wrote the first HTML, which allowed... Uh, different internet users to communicate with each other and share their stuff and uh, create a platform in which anyone, everyone could put their stuff up for anyone else to see. 
So we have him to blame if we come to the end of this podcast and we decide the internet isn't very good. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Without him, we'd all be using filing cabinets still. <laughs> and and so just just thinking about it, I mean, one of the things that we always talk about when we when we think about the internet is concepts like the cloud. We talk about concepts like data centers and and the sort of physical implications of the internet always feel very virtual when you use it. When you go online and you see all this data comes into your computer, you don't really think that is there a physical implication of it? And and Mike, what, what, there must be a physical implication of this data and what we're doing and how we're using the internet. Yeah, that's right. We can't see the emissions steaming out of our computers as we use them. But with all of that, with the, with the networks and our machines that we're using and the data centers and the whole lot, it's probably somewhere, somewhere between two and a half or, or maybe in lockdown a bit more, maybe 4% roughly of the whole world's greenhouse gas footprint. So it is significant. But much more to the point is what influence does that have on the rest of our carbon footprint? Right. And when we talk about the cloud, it's not a cloud, is it? That actually physically, that all the data that we call that we've put in the cloud, it actually lives somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, it lives in a stack of data centres, which are big buildings burning through quite a bit of electricity, storing and using data. Which we never see. So we, we don't really think about it. And Ken, in, in your line of work, so you're a comedian, but you're also a professional poker player, which is I always find fascinating. You've got a great poker face, I'm guessing. Thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I actually play online mostly, so I don't need to work on my poker face. But I, I've been told I can be quite emotionless. When necessary. Exactly. Interesting. So do you, do you take the piss out of your fellow poker players or not? Online, no. You, you do occasionally. I do occasionally get people who trash talk me in the chat. There's a little <laughs> chat box in the bottom, so I do actually get a few people who get frustrated and go, "Oh, you're you're such an idiot," and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and sometimes I interact with them. I never interact first. Right. Okay. So, so one of the things, just poker is now a big online sport. You don't actually physically have to go and sit around a table, James Bond style anymore. As, as I used to when I was a teenager. <laughs> did dressed you? Dressed up in a tuxedo. And, no, I never did. <laughs> it, it gives a much more high-flying view of what a poker player is. It's, it's not that cool. <laughs> but now just one poker site has something like 20 million users. That's a lot of traffic, isn't it? I mean, if you thought about this, is it, is it better for it? for us all to be online, sort of playing poker online, rather than being in the same room. How do you feel about that from an environmental point of view? I've never actually thought of it from an environmental point of view. I guess I guess in my mind, my instinct is that actually it still probably uses a lot less energy than other websites, say YouTube, Netflix, which are transferring large amounts of data through video. Poker is just the basic interface of the, of the site and it doesn't have much storage in terms of storing people's data and videos. So actually, it's probably not as significant as like everyone's daily use of YouTube, which is which I guess brings up a bigger question, like how do we balance the fact that that is something people want to do? Like even if poker was a larger use thing, how do we balance like, oh, it's something that people want to do with the fact that it does have a cost? So on poker, there's no live streaming. Basically, you're playing, no. playing sort of blind against somebody. You are. And, and Mike, that comes to kind of an interesting point. So sending an email versus Breaking Bad on Netflix, how does that kind of compare? Well, I've got some really, really good news for anybody listening, which is that broadly speaking, we can chill out about both of them, actually. Yes. Really? The email's tiny, right? So we're talking, you know, 
0.2 of a gram or something for a typical email. And all of that is down to the fact that you've got your some sort of machine on, even if it's just a phone, to, to read the email, and that's using electricity and somebody who sent the email had to use a bit of electricity but it's a you know it's a tiny amount and actually sending it is hardly anything at all and then the streaming a big story came out and everybody was talking about the huge carbon footprint of, of streaming a video and it's true that maybe an hour's tv might be is going to be maybe a few hundred grams which is you know an amount worth thinking about but don't forget that while you're streaming that video you're probably not driving a car so you might be that might be a good carbon <laughs> saving and most of, most of the carbon footprint is down to the fact that you're watching it on a device. So if you're watching it on a screen that's six foot by three foot big or something, then the chances are that's where the big carbon footprint is. If you watch it on a modest mm. little um, laptop or iPad or something, then, you know, it's not too bad. And especially if you can get the whole family around watching one thing all together, which, of course, is ah. much better your family life probably than if you were all hidden in different rooms around the house yes. watching your own different thing so as a representative of the average joe here what do you mean by gram what what is that unit okay so a gram of carbon dioxide equivalent so oh of, of co2 so yeah, yeah that's right so uh, to give a sense of perspective right so milk has uh, a carbon footprint of about two kilograms per liter Right. Wow. So a couple of hundred grams for watching Breaking Bag. Then we're talking about, you know, a small, maybe half a fairly small glass of milk or something. Like <laughs> so just don't drink milk while you're watching Breaking Bad and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, switch to oat milk and, you, and that'll, be, that'll be better. So obviously one of the things we need to get to, Mike, is the fact that we all need to agree on what we're going to watch as a family rather than having massive arguments, which is what I tend to find with my daughter is that we do not agree on what to watch. So, so agreeing what to watch, that's fascinating. But is there, is there something that the companies themselves can be doing? Obviously, they're going to be buying the energy to put in the data, running these data centers. And we're, we're hearing a lot of claims by Google going 100% renewable, Apple, mm. Amazon. If these tech companies are running on clean energy, does it, does it matter how much I stream? Or should, should we be trying to balance both? Well, if you're watching some quality stuff that's genuinely bringing quality to your life, then, you know, it's, it's probably worth it. In terms of, you know, should the, should the companies producing this stuff be going green, getting their, all their electricity from green sources, they absolutely should. And we should also be asking them really careful questions about whether that electricity is genuinely additional. So in other words, if, if Google's claiming it's, it's using only green energy, can it also claim that it hasn't used up the green energy that somebody else would be using in their grid to do their cooking at night? Have they actually laid on additional capacity in order for that to happen? Uh, Ken, do you think we should believe the big giants when they make all these green claims? I guess I'm always a bit suspicious because the, their bottom line is profit and going green is is a pragmatic move ultimately because I think culturally people do want their companies to be green so they're thinking about that but at the same time i'm not i'm not gonna go into conspiracy theory mode and go actually they're they're just lying or something and they're faking it i guess i i'm seeing a lot of movements towards green energy in the news which is this is which is very positive and now it's got so cheap that actually it's more efficient to do it anyway so healthy skepticisms of the big giants Always good, I think. Ken, you're absolutely right to be sceptical because, I mean, there has been so much corporate greenwash. If I had a pound, I'd spotted a piece of corporate greenwash over the years, I'd be rich. You know, we, we need an absolute campaign 
against it. But you're also absolutely right that there are more and more companies out there who want to do the right thing, not just for cynical reasons, but because it's the right thing. I mean, that is the heartening side of this. That's great. I like the term greenwash. I've never heard the term greenwash before. And that's nice, nice, neat, very neat term. <laughs> that's the polite phrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could call it something else. <laughs> What's the impolite phrase? Go oh, no, 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 no. I'm not I'm going to contaminate the airwaves. <laughs> we'll, we'll come up with that one later. But I mean, you touched, Mike, on the tech that we use to watch streaming. I mean, one billion phones are bought per year. I mean, phones are our addiction. What is the implication of that? I mean, is that where we should be looking more closely, potentially? Yeah, we absolutely should. So if you look at the carbon footprint of using your smartphone these days, only a tiny proportion of it is the actual electricity that it takes to charge it up every night. You know, the rest of it, the vast majority of it is making the manufacture of that phone in the first place. And just by the way, it's not just the carbon. It's also, you know, if you look at creating the battery for your phone, it takes all sorts of rare minerals and some of them in some of our smartphones have been mined using slave labor in the Congo and all sorts. So there's a, you know, there are some hideous supply chains behind our smartphones. So the simple thing is just to is to make them last as long as possible. When your contract runs out on your new phone, which is still new when it's only two years old, just remember it's only in the first phase of its life still. And it's really interesting when you buy an electric car, they warn you, they try and keep the battery going longer. They warn you not to top it up completely every night because actually that wears the battery out. And is there something similar on smartphones? Could we prolong the life cycle by actually looking after them in a better way? Yeah, there is stuff you can do. And I don't think the phone guys help us with that. So it's generally speaking with the battery, it's not good to charge it right to the very top. And it's not good to charge it right down to the very bottom. And it's not good to charge them up too quickly. So if you've got a tablet charger and you use it for charging your phone, you're probably frying it. Oh, do you think we've just saved oh, millions no. of pounds around the world? We might have done. My, Ken. We my have. Phone is on In charge. just the last 10 seconds, we've done the whole world a favour. My phone is on charge right now and I'm actually going to unplug it just because <laughs> of what you said. <laughs> Because it's really interesting. I never even thought of that until I got a car and then I was told not to charge it to the end. I was like, well, what about phones? What about what about laptops? What about all these other technologies? <laughs> and there are claims made by tech giants about how they are reducing it. So I think Apple talked about removing the charger and headphones from the phones they sell so they can reduce their impact. I mean, does that make a difference? Do things like that make a difference? Off the top of my head, that does sound like an example of the concept we were just talking about. <laughs> I think that's significant in the carbon footprint of an iPhone. Sorry, that sounds a little bit disingenuous. Okay, mm. and, and this is why we need protecting, really, isn't it? We need to make sure these guys are held to account about the environmental claims they make. Yeah, we need to make it really embarrassing, right? We need to make it so that if a company gets exposed as having done a bit of greenwash, they need to feel really embarrassed. They need to feel People who work for them no longer want to be associated with that company. They need to feel like their customers are going to all be walking off elsewhere. They just need to feel as though it's going to be humiliating if they're not dead straight and honest. And Ken, that sounds like a comedian's job. You're good at making people asking the difficult questions. That's kind of your role in society. Is that is that something you, you could see comedians taking up and, and that being a form of what you could do? Yeah, I think comedians are actually picking up a lot of not to toot my own horn, but I guess a lot of social justice issues, comedians are now being quite leading figures in provocating a lot of like 
those kind of ideas on social media. A lot of people are a hybrid of comedian plus like campaigner, really campaigning for a lot of issues like green issues. Like most comedians I know definitely are pretty, pretty on the on the right side of the green energy debate. So you do see a lot of comedians get big on Twitter with like hundreds of thousands of followers and do push these political issues quite heavily. Yeah. One of the other areas we're beginning to see have a really big impact in this sort of tech area is finance, finance being transformed. So as we begin to look at Bitcoin, it hits the headlines on a regular basis for not only what Mr. Elon Musk is doing, but also for the amount of energy used. But Ken, you've got a joke, I think, related, specific joke related to this. Can you share it with us or share where it came from and then tell us about it? <laughs> I'll say it. I've been asked to say this joke too many times because it's the one that won the Dave joke of the fringe in 2017. It's not even funny when I say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> so people are just kind of, oh, okay, I can see how that's a good joke. <laughs> but I'll say it. I'm not a fan of the new pound coin, but then again, I hate all change. So are you going to update this for Bitcoin then? Do you think you could, have you managed to wangle a Bitcoin joke yet out of this? Not yet, because there's no physical change of bitcoin unfortunately so it wouldn't work if i said i'm not a fan of bitcoin well it's interesting because i wonder whether the future of cryptocurrencies could be really challenged so we talked about digitalization we've talked about the internet and and mike you've made us all feel a little bit happier about streaming and everything but when it comes to bitcoin i mean it does when you begin to scratch the surface the headlines definitely make you feel nervous about how much energy you need to make cryptocurrency and the whole mining piece and actually you need a big energy source just to do that should we be worried about cryptocurrencies or not i think we should be worried about cryptocurrencies i think they're a really great example of just how pointlessly humans can burn through huge amounts of energy so if you look at how a cryptocurrency works so you have to you have to mine these bitcoins and in order to keep the mining scarce you have to make it hard to mine them and mining a, a, a bitcoin or any cryptocurrency is it's essentially you know making a computer solve a puzzle and the more powerful <laughs> computers get to keep the coins scarce you have to make the puzzles harder and harder so you end up with this increasing army of machines that are built purely to mine cryptocurrencies and they just were day and night burning through increasing amounts of energy just to solve these inherently pointless puzzles. So when we looked at the total carbon footprint of all the world's IT, including all the TV and all the computer use and just the whole lot, we found that 5% of it and rising fast is down to cryptocurrency. I mean, it's interesting because are we being too harsh on technology? Because, I mean, what's interesting is cryptocurrencies have given us other techniques and capabilities that, that might help us with solving some of the questions we've got about energy and smart grids and digitization. Do you think it, it could actually be a way through, it, despite where it is today? Could a future of Bitcoin be more interesting? Could it provide some of the answers? Yeah, I'm sure there's a solution out there somewhere to be had. I mean, cryptocurrencies do all sorts of things for us. I mean, they're great for money laundering, aren't they, at the moment? But, you know, they do some good things as well. And, you know, the, the thing that goes around my head is, you know, why do we put so much effort into solving inherently pointless puzzles? You know, what if we, to get a Bitcoin, what if you had to prove you'd done something useful, like make an old lonely person a happy experience for a day or, you know, do something like that. If you had to show that you'd actually done something 
of inherent value to humanity in order to earn a Bitcoin. You know, maybe that'll be the, maybe that's the way through. Maybe that's your next, your next project, a cryptocurrency, yeah. which is based around that. I'm just not quite clever enough to work out how to make that work, but somebody out there is. So, and, and does cryptocurrency impact sort of things like online poker at all? Is, is there a debate around it now, Ken? I think people do. There are crypto-only sites, actually, but it's not a big... I mean, poker, online poker has really got a lot less popular over the last decade anyway so it's not really talked i'm not that clued in on the community anymore but i think a lot of poker players did get really interested in crypto because it is sort of the same attitudes and mindset that makes someone a poker player the kind of rampant individualism (laughs) and essentially gambling i guess element of it i'm annoyed at bitcoin because i first heard of it when it was at nine dollars and i was like nah i won't buy it and i heard about it again at 25 dollars okay now i won't buy and then i just i just kept hearing it again at every incremental stage and i just never chose to buy (laughs) so it went against all your instincts as a poker player but still stripped them so my additional question on this is then i'm going to throw a quantum computing curveball in here because obviously quantum's really interesting one of the things about quantum is it does use less energy mike and it does solve lots of different questions it also could blow bitcoin out the water as far as i've understood as well as many other banking practices so could something like quantum really transform the way not only to take down bitcoin as this energy hungry businesses and maybe put our social content in, but also solve all the other problems we've got on energy and smart grids and things like that? Oh, well, fascinating question. So this takes us into what would happen if we made our ICT more efficient, right? which is what quantum would do. So it's tempting to think, oh, well, if we were more efficient, obviously the carbon footprint would would go down and, and all our problems would be solved. But Let's just have a look at what's been happening over the last 50 years. So don't forget, over the last 50 years, the efficiency of our ICT has gone up by thousands, factors of thousands or millions, right? And what's happened to the carbon footprint of that ICT? Blow me down. That's gone up as well at the same time. (laughs) What about the whole world economy? Actually, that's got more efficient. You know, our lighting is hundreds of times more efficient than it used to be. Our cars are more efficient. Everything's more efficient. And you know what? our total carbon footprint is going up, not down, hand in hand with all that. And when you really, really look at it, the awful truth is that what the effect of an efficiency improvement tends to be, one way or another, that our use of that thing goes up by an even bigger proportion than the efficiency improvement. And so things get worse, not better. And that's such a critical concept to understand because what it means is that efficiency doesn't help us at all. In fact, it makes things worse unless we do something to constrain the use of resources in the first place. So, you know, it makes me think about, there's a Buddhist community up off uh, on an island, just off the Isle of Arran, and they mow, they mow the lawn with, effectively with scissors, with shears, because they know it's inefficient, but they just say, you know, life's better that way. And uh, <laughs> they, have, they have a really low carbon footprint. <laughs> we need to start thinking that way a bit more. And Ken, quantum, is that exciting for you, do you think? Or are you with Mike? It's not going to necessarily take us anywhere new. I think those kind of technologies can always be hyped up a bit by pop science and stuff. But I guess what I seem to understand from Mike is that there are a lot of bad faith people in the industry and it's about how do we deal with that is that a wrong of 
societies as a whole to educate each other to fight that is it we need a stronger campaign on governments like our governments are really behind on all these issues and that seems to be a focus that we we can probably focus on at the same time it's very hard to affect government because elections the way they work are so stacked against like normal people that and they're so infrequent it's going to take years and years to actually have them wake up on these issues so we we basically given Bitcoin the elbow. We don't think Bitcoin's really the future for us. So do we go back to a normal currency and sort of cope with that environmental impact? Should we just be returning to gold? Well, yeah, I guess so. And what we need to get our heads around is that every time we spend or invest money, we are pushing for one future or another. So every time you buy something, it's got a supply chain and we all need to get much better at understanding what on earth that supply chain is like and whether we want to see more of it or not. So basically, it's not how we produce the money, it's what we spend yeah, it on. Yeah, absolutely. Ken, what we spend it on is more important. Do you agree? Less, maybe more local meals or, or are you going to walk more? What, what's <laughs> the plan? I think it's always a tough one with, with making individuals change because a lot of individuals have a lot of habits which are potentially hard to break, like getting at them to stop mm. anything they do badly. And, and certainly people are being more green conscious overall. But then like we all yeah. still use Amazon, at least uh, I and most friends of mine use Amazon, which is very bad. And But we do it because it's just a very efficient way for us individually to get a, a cheap item without having to look for it, etc. And that, that that's very bad for the world when it adds up. But it's like the tragedy of the commons where... Like every single person is thinking, oh, I, other people are not going to stop it. So why should I? Well, yeah, Amazon's such a good example because there's such an opportunity to go and do something different there. So, you know, so I bought a couple of, a couple of books that come out on climate change. And, and sadly enough, I went out and bought them the other day. So you can buy them off Amazon or I went to the Guardian bookshop. I actually, I mm. think Guardian is a good source of journalism. I want to support it. And I pay a couple of quid more to buy it from The Guardian. And I have to wait po possibly a day or two longer. I don't really mind about that. But in exchange for that, I'm putting a lot more than a couple of quid into the kind of media that I think I want to support. And we can all make our own minds up about which media we most want to support. But, you know, it's an example of how you make that choice. I admit, I do use Amazon from time to time. As Ken said, from convenience, it's really easy to use. I mean, what is so bad about Amazon? Well, you, we have to ask ourselves carefully, for all these big companies, the extent to which we're confident that they are pushing for and trying to engineer the sort of world that we might want to see. So in Amazon's specific case, I'd be asking how it's treating the people that work for Amazon. I'd be asking... Is it encouraging us to buy only the stuff that we need so that our own environmental impacts go down? Or is it just trying to encourage us to buy as much as possible so that its profits will go up? And is it, for example, encouraging us to want things as quickly as possible so we can pay a premium for a prime delivery when actually that's much less efficient than if you wait a few days and consolidate your orders and do it in your own. That allows a much more efficient distribution process. And then we could be asking questions about where the profits from Amazon go to. So, for example, now only the second richest man in the world, from his Amazon fortune, is putting it all into his space travel ridiculous, incredibly <laughs> high carbon, totally <laughs> irresponsible fantasy 
which is the last thing that the world needs right now. So there's kind of quite a few different reasons why Amazon may not be, for me, wouldn't be pushing for the kind of future that I want to see. So part environmental, part political environmental and, and can you touched earlier on so the fact that sort of the internet one of the things we can do is get together as a social grouping about politics do you think there's an opportunity to bring the community together particularly talking about environment and environmental impact around some of the issues that we've discussed today and, and get get them to be a force for good I guess we're seeing that happening with stuff like the protests, like the Extinction Rebellion things. Like it did show that there is a community behind the issue and it potentially got thousands of people out into the streets to to protest for it. And you have a lot of figures who are now behind it because of that. And you have the whole Greta Thunberg thing. So, yeah, there is, there is a, a huge opportunity there to spread that further. The, the real question is how... And in what tone and, yeah. yeah, the strategy for it, which we haven't actually figured out or ironed out at all. Mike touched on sort of that whole delivery piece. I mean, the part that you can put loads of deliveries together and that will have a low impact. Amazon doesn't try and incentivize you to, to have less deliveries. We seem to be just incentivized to have more. I mean, that, that does feel odd. I would have thought that doesn't make good business either. It feels very strange that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Amazon is not encouraging us. And there's a, you know, there are a ton of things that Amazon could be doing to be encouraging us into more sustainable living and feeling more excited about more sustainable living. And it's absolutely not doing any of that stuff. But also, Ken, I mean, when, when Jeff Bezos kind of resigned, he, he said he was going to set up, I mean, we've heard from Mike, he's, he's, his space piece, but he also said he was going to invest loads in the environment. I mean, what do you believe? Do you think, do you think that's real? Do we, can we trust these big corporate figures who make a lot of money out of us? We can never fully trust them, I guess, because they have a lot of power and they don't have any consequences to work. So they could just say that and not follow up on it. And what's going to happen to them? Literally nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing, definitely. Mike, what do you think the role of government should be or, or how we should influence government on these kind of issues? Yeah, well, it would be lovely to think that the government would be the great leaders who would show us how to come through the climate crisis. But I think what we've learned is that it's no good waiting for that. And actually, most of today's politicians are the followers on this. And what they follow is the people when the people show and prove that they care. So some of the most exciting and impactful things that have happened around the response to climate change have been people taking to the streets, actually. So whether or not you take to the streets, but peacefully insisting and making sure that our politicians really know that we care about this stuff and we don't just want to hear a few bland, broad brush comments. We want to see them really rolling up their sleeves and getting the detail right and sorting out a serious response to the crisis we're in. So probably the environment is one of the biggest issues, but the issue with like voting green, for example, I, I, I really do want to vote green, but in our current system, it's very, very difficult to ha make that have an effect. But is it still worth it to just go, you know what, I want to throw my support behind the Green Party to say, you know, the environment is really, really important. Is that a viable idea long term? Well, I've talked to uh, the Green Party about ways in which we might try and engineer them having a bit more influence through our, mm. our non-proportional representation voting system that we've got at the moment. But I think, you know, with the system as it is today, you have to vote for the best 
realistic candidate that you think, but it's a hard one to unpack in a short space of time. No, 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 yeah, that, that did throw a big, <laughs> a big question. It was, yes. And it's interesting because uh, obviously the German Green Party had a massive impact on, on not just German politics, but worldwide. And they, uh, I've just been reading uh, about Petra Kelly, who was the leader of the Green Party in Germany, who was, who kind of stood up for, uh, well, feminism, nuclear disarmament, but also the environment. And she was kind of ahead of her time and, and made a massive difference. But it was much easier because they could get the mood of the country and uh, they had a form of proportional representation. So they had a massive impact on German mm, politics for, yeah. and they still do today. But I think uh, unless you have that, it's much tougher. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. I think there are there are definite regions in the UK where you can have a big impact on politics by voting for a green candidate. And actually maybe at the local elections, it can have a bigger impact. Yes. So, Mike, one of the things that we see an increasing amount of today is, is sort of search websites that claim to offset your carbon footprint of searching and sort of improve your environmental impact of the Internet through offsetting or planting trees. What do you think about these sites? Are they the way forward? Is that what we should be looking for as, as consumers? Well, first of all, I'm really sceptical of anyone who's claiming to offset because there is no substitute whatsoever for cutting the carbon in the first place. Lots of these offset schemes are frankly bogus and even the very best ones, all the very best nature-based solutions, which we should be doing, are all finite and we need to do them anyway. So it's not as though you're really taking carbon out of the air that didn't already need to be taken out of the air. So the, the whole offset thing is problematic. But you know, I don't know the detail of you know, which search engine is the best. I choose Firefox over Chrome because I think it's got better ethical credentials and it works well. But I think you're asking a really good question. It's a very good example of how all those decisions, we need to be thinking what lies behind this as best we can and just trying to, within our resources, get to the bottom of those answers as best we can and vote accordingly. Ken, would you, would you choose your search engine on either ethical or environmental grounds? I haven't looked into those kind of things personally. Yeah, that, that's that's an extra effort that I should probably do more often. And I, maybe I will after this this podcast. I mean, if I, if I wanted to come up with the top three things of what I should be doing in terms of using streaming or Internet or any of that usage, what, what should I be trying to do that you think will have the biggest impact as an individual? Well, make your kit last longer. That's the biggest thing by far. And then the rest of it is all down to whether your use of the internet changes the rest of your lifestyle for better or worse. So, you know, if you find yourself online browsing opportunities to buy things and it's your new way of doing retail therapy and it's creating a kind of needless overconsumption, then that's, you know, that's an example of never mind the carbon footprint of the internet. It's the way that it's bringing your lifestyle down that's, that's really doing you in. On the other hand, if your use of the internet enables you to put together a low carbon holiday that might have been too much hassle if you hadn't been able to go online or makes public transport work for you because the internet allows you to see how all the dots join up between all the different types of transport you could use outside of COVID, then don't worry about the carbon footprint of the internet. Just think about the effect it's having on your life. That's the big deal. Ken, what do you think? I guess I'd like to interject and say that you doing this uh, podcast is already actively helping the the environment because you're raising awareness for it. Someone might listen to it and change 
their habits, and that's probably quite significant in that you're, you could potentially affect multiple people's carbon footprint. And so we should all run podcasts. That's a new <laughs> yeah, way forward podcasts. on our environmental thoughts. In a way, yes, I guess like spreading that kind of message through communities is always yeah. like on on all social justice issues, on all those kind of issues, is often the best way to create change. Is actually how you change your messaging to other people, and then that just filters through society that's happened a lot with for like feminism in the last 20 years and for a lot of racial issues and we've seen those changes in social justice and we're seeing that now on green issues and like all the all the polls and uh, reports are saying that people are way more into green issues than they were even a few years ago yeah so i have an alternative to retail therapy that i have just embarked on which is quite interesting so i discovered something recently called free cycle which probably most people have heard of oh yeah for years But actually finding a second use in somebody else's home Mm. for the stuff that you don't use or you've got left over from something is fascinating. I don't know about you. Have have either of you tried FreeCycle or used it at all? I've been on it. I don't think I ever found anything off it. Uh, Definitely when we first moved homes, we were looking for furniture from it and stuff, but we never ended up getting any because it was quite hard to transport. But it, it seems very useful. Yeah, we've got some great things. For it. We should use it more. Once or twice. I mean, the best thing is you get to unload your junk and not just, you know, you get to see somebody really happy that they've got this thing. That they, you know, to see something actually going off to be well used when you don't think it should be quite in the tip. But, you know, it's great. But uh, we've had some, well, over the years, we've had some brilliant stuff. We've got four canoes that we have had so much use out of over the years. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. And I, I had some leftover livestock wire that somebody came and picked up the other day. And apparently they're going to use them for dahlias, which I had never thought of. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I think the internet is amazing. I think it can bring us together as a community. We just need to work a bit harder at it. What do you think, Mike? Do you think it's a positive future that we've got? Yeah, it gives us an opportunity. It gives us more choices, doesn't it? It gives us an opportunity to live better or worse. So it's about how we use yeah. it. You're absolutely right. Without the internet, you wouldn't be able to do free cycle. It'd be really tricky. And any, any other tips on the alternatives? I have just tried eBay, but I must admit, I'm slightly struggling on selling stuff on eBay. That I find, I haven't got into that. I think I might need Ken's brain on how to out-psych people on the bidding. <laughs> That's what I really need. It used to be the thing to do was to hang on to the very last minute, put your last bid in with one second to go. Yeah, but I'm on the other <laughs> side. I want to sell something. I don't know how to, I'm just like completely useless on eBay. I think I need a new talent. Anyway, so we have the last part of the this, this session. We ask you to do a summary in 20 seconds. And normally we try and get a stopwatch on there. So the question I'm going to ask you is, you can choose which one, which one broke the internet, whether the one who banned it or whether the one who had a champagne on her ass. Kim didn't break the internet, but is the internet breaking the planet? Mike, 20 seconds to answer that question. The internet's not breaking the planet, it's how we use it. Do we use it to bring about the low-carbon world or do we just use it by default to become more efficient at everything and in doing so end up having accidentally bigger footprints than we had in the first place? Brilliant. Pretty much spot on there. Amazing. So, Ken, up to the 20-second challenge. Is, Is the internet breaking our planet? I guess with all massive technological inventions, like it's just a case of that the most people don't understand it, and then we're not finding the best way to use it. Like the industrial revolution created a lot of problems for like poverty and and the environment. The internet is the same. We we need to educate ourselves on how to use it. 
Thank you so much for being my guest, Mike and Ken. I've really enjoyed that. I learned a huge amount. And um, now I know what to answer to all those quantum computing buffs. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for listening to Great Green Questions. If you like the show, then please rate and review and hit follow to never miss out on an episode. If you have a great green question of your own that you would like us to answer, please feel free to get in touch with me on Twitter at DavenportJulia or Insta at Davenport.Juliet. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Listener.